the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We have been talking about the fact that the month of January marks the anniversary of the historic Roe versus Wade decision, an infamous decision which legalized abortion in America. And while we are grateful that the national average of abortions in America has gone down, much to the chagrin, no doubt, of organizations like Planned Parenthood. That isn't true for all populations. In fact, most notably in the Afro-American population, the numbers have remained static, if not increased slightly. What is troubling about this is that while the African-American population of, of birth age is essentially four and a half, five percent fully 35% of the abortions in America are represented by the African-American community. To put that in perspective for you, our dear friend Walter Hoy did some research and found out that between 1882 and 1968, the Ku Klux Klan was responsible for 3,446 lynchings in America. It's a troubling, shocking, horrific number. What is even more troubling, more shocking, and more horrific is that that number represents barely three days' worth of abortions in America committed by African Americans on African Americans. Troubling numbers, to be sure. Coming up on Saturday, January the 27th, it will be the 14th annual Walk for Life West Coast, which has begun as small, humble beginnings and grown into the largest pro-life walk of its sort anywhere in the country. And one of the keynote speakers once again this year to help not only give voice to the voiceless, but also give a dose of reality to all of us is the Reverend Dr. Clenard Childress, who is the founder of BlackGenocide.org. He is one of the leading speakers on this topic across the nation. And as always, it is an extreme honor, Dr. Childress, to have you with us tonight. I deeply appreciate you having me. Why are these numbers so horrifically skewed? Uh, we reported here in January, early January, of uh, the, the latest statistics from the Guttenmacher Institute that abortion had once again dropped in the, uh, the year just concluded. We're encouraged by all of that. Progress is heading in the right direction. And yet for the African-American community, the needle doesn't seem to be moving in the right direction. Why is that? Well, mainly it's because of betrayal of leadership. And where once leadership was very strong on this issue, uh, during the late 70s, early 80s, they capitulated and basically sold out. And what would be required is for them not to make it an issue, one, two, to more or less go along with their talking points that a woman should be able to make her own choice. And, of course, that was simply for filthy lucre. Uh, they were getting um, power, prestige, and monetary compensation. Ironically, it's the same thing Margaret Sanger said she was going to do to the ministers back in the 30s and 40s 
uh, it didn't work as well because of the strong Judeo-Christian ethic that was prevailing still. But uh, she also bribed the minister, the colored minister, she said, because of the strong religious component in the African-American community. Once that was betrayed, uh, the NAACP, <clears throat> the Congressional Black Caucus, leaders such as the Reverend Jesse Jackson was pivotal in this, uh, Al Sharpton, um, and as you well know, the African-American community rested very highly on their opinion and what they felt was uh, good for African-Americans. And then the deliberate censorship in lies, blob of tissue, it's not a life, it isn't anything other than an inconvenience to you at this point that we can remedy. And uh, it has certainly been the greatest deception on the African-American community and the church at large. Well, and, and moreover, and, and the name of your organization, in fact, points to this. Uh, you, you don't call this the black mistake. You don't call this the the uh, the black uh, conspiracy to distort the Constitution or erase Judeo-Christian ethics from the black community. You call it black genocide, and the very nature, the very term genocide, suggests the intentional effort to try and destroy another people, a program. As, as, if you will. And if you look at the history of Margaret Sanger and Planned Parenthood, we see deep-rooted not only racism within the organization and its founder, Margaret Sanger, but almost a great sense of pride over the support of things like the science of eugenics. In fact, even Adolf Hitler himself spoke very glowingly about the leadership role that Margaret Sanger played clear back into the 1920s in uh, promulgating the notion of the survival of the fittest and stronger races, etc., etc. And so you have to wonder how a movement that finds its genesis in such warped thinking from from the very get-go, would not be successful as it has been today to wiping out so many tens of millions of people. And most ironically, and this is the part that I think perhaps a lot of white Americans who who know about the numbers don't understand, and that is to say, in Jewish America, in the Jewish world, they stand up and say, what Hitler did to us was racist and it was wrong and we need to speak out against it and never let it happen again. And yet the black community doesn't seem to have the same realization with the genocide that's taking place at, quite frankly, the hands of a lot of racists. Why is that? Once again, uh, when you have, as Margaret Singer prescribed, uh, black faces, uh, African Americans, saying that this is your right and this is something that you should utilize to the point where there are young ladies using it as a contraceptive where it is so entrenched in our own government you have to understand our government is giving uh, i don't know if it's still saying uh, over five hundred thousand i know at least to planned parenthood and they have become like the the facilitator of the eugenics movement in this country and so it takes righteous people to stand up and not turn away and no no doubt um, the betrayal of our leadership is, is clearly now can clearly be seen and, uh, and and it's a shameful that indeed we've got to the point where we are experiencing over 20 million african americans are missing this 
uh, roughly think 37, 35 African Americans in the country, and and you have over 20 million missing due to abortion alone. And I would say uh, we are the target of abortion, but uh, these are very callous people. It takes 2.2 persons to produce basically a woman to have 2.2 children, if I can speak it to and and as uh, metric terms, 2.2. Each woman has to have 2.2 children. We're beneath the replacement level, but the Caucasian community is at 2.3. So the collateral damage, they don't even care about because, one, the goal is less people. Two, if we're going to target a people, we're going to target the people of color. But it is unquestionably something that we need to, as the church is the chief agent for change. And once again, I see a spark. We're seeing better numbers of activists in the African-American community partnering with uh, the Catholic community and other denominations on this issue. And it's beginning to get a raise in the consciousness of people. But this is very, as Ruth Bader Ginsburg said, um, that this is a part of our society, and therefore it should remain. So that's a Supreme Court justice. So we, we are in a battle now over really conscience, because if indeed we're going to address and claim, as Dr. Martin Luther King said, that indeed we had become a schizophrenic nation, because we were claiming the Declaration of Independence of the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. If that is the case, then we, as he saw happening in the future, that we would one day as a nation live out our creed. And I believe we're in the season for that. So programs like this and voices that are continually going forth, sharing um, viable information, we are shifting hearts. And I think, too, the continuation of speaking the very uncomfortable, inconvenient truth is critically important. I mean, clearly, as you're suggesting, Dr. Childress, there is a mindset, there is an ideology, there is a spirit, if you will, behind this. And and I, uh, not, not to browbeat the comparison, but I think how that, if you look at the better than 100 major and minor concentration camps that were built by the Germans during World War II. They were built in strategic locations where there were high concentrations of either Slavic peoples and or Jewish people because of the expressed desire to eliminate both. And ironically, we see the same thing with Planned Parenthood, that there is a very deliberate placement of Planned Parenthood locations in minority communities because that seems to be the target uh, of, of what they're doing. And the promulgation of this through lies and half-truths and, and, and quite frankly, the need or the lack of people to stand up and say enough and it is the same scourge that happened that allowed the, the Nazis to pull the crimes that they did against the Jewish people in Europe in the 1930s and 40s that's happening here in America today with the abortion industry against the African-American community. Lives, half-truths, and the lack of enough people to stand up and say, enough. Absolutely, and those parallels can be clearly seen uh, 
even though people say, well, that was the Third Reich, that was uh, back then and there, but it's, it, the parallels are often, uh, we're repeating <laughs> the same errors, just morphed a little bit. Uh, the language, the uh, pro-choice, uh, a woman's rights, and, and see, the, you get the empathy from people when it comes to our own innate desire to make free choices. And then you have to dehumanize the target. And they, in that Hitler's day, called them useless eaters, uh, menaces to society. I mean, all this verbiage was coming forth to dehumanize the, uh, the target group they wanted to eliminate. And it is so today. Uh, fetus, uh, say the word, even though in the uh, Greek or the Latin, I believe it means little child, there's such a length to dehumanize the child that is in the womb, so people have become so insensitive. Is it viable? You know, I told one young man, I said, when my mother took me home, I was not viable, because <laughs> I could not live by myself unattended. Does that mean that she still had the right <laughs> to kill me at that point? I know some 18-year-olds uh, that would fit in that category that aren't quite viable in being able to be responsible for themselves. Absolutely. <laughs> so you hear these terms, but as, you, as you've already mentioned, uh, <clears throat> your listeners need to know that not only did Hitler um, thank Margaret Sanger, there was good reason. Uh, Lothrop Stoddard was a member on the board of Margaret Sanger of Eugenics, and she sent him to Germany to set up the program, okay, that he ran so successfully. And so uh, we, we have to understand that this woman was clearly a racist. And so when they call pro-lifers who they claim are trying to take away the rights of women, fascist and racist, yet they're upholding a, 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 an ideology that the most racist person of our of the past generation, Margaret Sanger, upheld, and that is the destruction of persons in the womb before they had the right to pursue happiness or the rights of the American dream. And so people need to understand, if we're going to yell about the Confederacy, we're going to yell about Robert E. Lee and, and, and scream about, now they're screaming about Christopher Columbus. I, I, I don't connect those dots, but anyway, if that is the case, you totally now have labeled yourself as hypocrite and, and, and certainly ones that should not be recognized. You're irrelevant because you're ignoring the, the, the greatest racist of our era, uh, and, and saying, well, what she believed and her ideology is okay. We don't need to remove her out of the Smithsonian. Hillary Clinton can still receive the Margaret Sanger Award and, and speak platitudes over this woman, and not one word from these people who want uh, Stonewall Jackson out, Robert E. Lee out, and whoever they feel represents their idea of racism. So we, we need to let, especially our college students, know the roots and the foundation of Planned Parenthood, the Birth Control League originally, basically facilitated, was a great a chief counsel in the, in the facilitation of eugenics and the slaughter of the innocent in Germany, 
and continue that same ideology with documented comments. I mean, today, you have to be very careful what you say over the air, or what we say over the pulpits. Uh, this woman was quite blatant in her racism, and it's documented, but yet there's not a peep from uh, the liberal-minded folks who want abortion about the clear racism that she um, demonstrated. And we need to bring that to the forefront. I think it'll work to our advantage. Well, and at the end of the day, it's about several things. It's about institutionalized racism. It is about big money. It's about a disconnection from reality. And, And let me speak to those that we're hearing are comparisons between what's happening with black genocide and, and the broader issue of abortion in America today and some of the methodology and techniques used to promulgate programs and genocide in, in Europe by the Nazis during World War II. Some say, well, you're, you're making an unfair, unrealistic comparison. And you know what? Let me quickly say you're absolutely right that in some degrees you can't compare the two. And here's the reason why. It has been commonly attributed everywhere from the Nuremberg trials forward that Hitler and the Nazi killing machine was successful at taking the lives of some six million Jews during the 1930s and 40s in Europe. Today, the most recent numbers that we have demonstrate irrefutably that more than 58,936,000 children have been aborted in America. Round numbers, we're talking 60 million. So you're right. You can't compare the two. Because in comparing the two, we've demonstrated one thing. We're 10 times more successful at this than Nazi Germany. You're going to be speaking, Dr. Childress, as we mentioned, at the annual Walk for Life West Coast, and I mentioned to listeners earlier on in my program tonight, uh, few of us would have imagined when this first started 14 years ago, we thought, well, we'll get a couple of hundred people maybe to show up. That'll be nice. It has turned into the largest march of its sort anywhere in the United States, and we are so pleased that you're going to be one of the keynote speakers again. For folks that are listening, maybe new to the Bay Area or not aware of what goes on, tell us a bit about Walk for Life West Coast. Well, I, I believe it's the purest event of, uh, of the year. It is simply persons who have gotten together, not so much based, and we, we need to be involved in politics, but that wasn't the driving force. <laughs> the driving force was the raising the awareness of the plight of the unborn. And they wanted to do it in their hometown, where many people felt it would not be a wise decision to do and but yet they wanted their voices to be heard and um uh, eva font eva and dolores uh simply have done an outstanding job with that particular mission and that project and, and god just increased it every year thereafter and it is truly a clear witness for the sole purpose of raising the consciousness of the community as, as well as the country and uh, it's always a joy to see the many young people that come out, the songs that they sing, the uh, truly the camaraderie and the and the, and the like mission. Uh, my pastor used to say, "There's three things that draw people uh, together: a common enemy, a common goal, and a common God." And uh, we got all that working <laughs> there 
at the at the uh, march for life there in San Francisco, and uh, I can't think of a year that it wasn't just an invigorating, uh, spiritually uplifting, and so all your listeners, it's so important for us in some way, form, or fashion to be in the public square for a cause that would further uh, God's kingdom, and he had commanded us to go into all the world, and so this is a great event for someone just to say, well, I'm going to spend the day uh, with the people for the sake of those who have no voices, whose voices have been denied and cut off, and, uh, and stand with my brothers and sisters for them and, uh, and march down Market Street there. And it's, it's just been such a blessing to me, and it's a great honor to be able to be a partaker. And as you underscore, this is not a political rally or political march. In fact, it is very spiritual in nature. It is, as you indicate, giving voice to the voiceless. And uh, once again, this annual walk, now in its 14th year, will begin at 12.30 p.m. with a rally at the Civic Center Plaza. And then following the rally, there will be a walk down Market Street to Justin Herman Plaza. There will be booths set up. There is food. There's an opportunity to share, to hit or to learn, to grow, and most importantly, to make a statement. And um, in many respects, to uh, to give voice, as we say, to those that have no voice, to speak up for um, not just the victims of abortion in terms of the, what was the number, 58,936-plus thousand, but then, too, for the other victims of abortion, and that is the women, the mothers, and the fathers that have been lied to and told half-truths and manipulated to also speak up for them as well. The 14th annual Walk for Life West Coast taking place again on Saturday, January the 27th. There'll be a gathering about 10.30 in the morning, and then, of course, the actual event begins at 12.30 with a rally and then the march from Civic Center Plaza to Justin Herman Plaza. Details available on the web at Walk for Life WC for West Coast, walkforlifewc.com. And I'd like to thank very much Reverend Dr. Clenard Childress, Jr., who is the founder of blackgenocide.org and the keynote speaker for this 2018 West Coast Walk for Life event for being with us on this edition of Lifeline. Always a delight and an education. Thanks again, Dr. Childress, for being with us. 6.30 from KFAX. Oh, his website, by the way. You can check it out at blackgenocide.org. Lots of great information and good numbers there, too, to learn blackgenocide.org. Right now, we get a look at traffic. The KFAX Traffic Center, exactly 6.30. We've got Michael Bennett standing by with the latest. Michael. And now, back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All of us, from time to time, have struggled with, within our Christian walk, and that is hearing the voice of God. Um, we are told in John 10 and 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And for all of us that say, gee, I, I just wish I could hear God's voice more distinctly in life. It would be great if there was the loud, thundering, booming voice out of heaven that shakes you to your innermost being. And yet more often than not, when God speaks, he speaks with that still, small voice. Why is that exactly? Well, our next guest has written a book on the very topic called Hearing God in Conversation, How to Recognize His Voice Everywhere, newly published by Kriegel Publications. 
and its author, our guest today. He is the founding director of Kids of the Heart, author of a number of other best-selling books, including Is Sunday School Destroying Our Kids? Samuel Williamson, great to have you on the program. Hi, Craig. Thanks very much for, welcome, for welcoming me. I really appreciate it. It would honored. be great if God spoke in this loud, thundering, booming voice that we could know instantly, aha, there is the voice of God instructing me and making the right choices and decisions along life's highway. But in fact, God chooses other methodology. We know certainly that he can speak to us through his word. He can speak to us through others. But that sense of hearing that still, small voice directly inform ourselves, that seems to be elusive for a lot of Christians. Why is that? I think it is elusive, and I think part of the reason, Craig, is because people have this expectation that God only speaks to, you know, the high and mighty, the saints, you know, you know, uh, St. Francis of Assisi, or Billy Graham, or Mother Teresa. And I think it's a false expectation, because I think Scripture's very clear when you look at all the heroes of the faith, and, and, their, and their foibles, I, th- I think it's very clear that God speaks to us because of his greatness and not because of our greatness. And, and we can have a confidence because his greatness is so great and our greatness is so small. But he, but he speaks to us because of his greatness. All right. So toward that end, then, um, it, it, part of it then has to do with our sense of, of, of perspective on our relationship. If God is speaking to us in and out of his greatness, uh, that would also require me to understand the nature of or the balance of the relationship that I have with God, would it not? It absolutely does. And, you know, the Scripture is filled with metaphors that God himself uses to teach us about our relationship with him. And he says that we are the sheep, here's the shepherd. He says that we are the servants, he is the master. We're the subjects, he is the king. But it also says we are the children, he is the father. You know, it breathtakingly intimately, he says we are the spouse and he is the bridegroom. But every one of these metaphors is a human relationship. And, you know, Craig, the essence of relationship, if you think of your, uh, of your family, of your spouse, of your friends, the essence of relationship is communication. And it's two-way communication. And... I think when we read Scripture, Scripture overflows with the idea of God wanting to speak to us, wanting us to recognize His voice. It's the essence of Christianity, a relationship with God. And I think God promises and mm, invites us to have a a, a communicative, a, a, a conversational relationship with Him. All right, now let's talk about that, because that suggests, as you talk about relationship, and anybody, I think, with with half a mind understands that in order for there to be any success in a relationship, there needs to be that sense of give and take. And that's true of marriage relationships. It's true if you want to get along with uh, with your siblings or get along with your uh, your offspring. Uh, but with that said, it, it, it it's kind of a curiosity in that uh, so often when we we think about conversation with God, what we really think about or engage in is monologue. And yet what God wants is dialogues. It's not just a matter of of God hearing from us and usually our laundry list of all the things that we want or our complaints, but then hearing back from God in return. And I think a lot of people find getting into that place where we have a sense that it's not a monologue, but rather a dialogue with God, that seems to be elusive because it requires upon us as well to be listening as well as talking. Absolutely, Craig, absolutely. And I would say that the few times that we especially want to hear him is the big times of decisions in our life, like, 
you know, should I become a doctor or a lawyer or a business person? Should I become a radio host? You know, or should I marry this person or that person? I think that we're, we typically mostly hope for God for the major decisions of our life. But, Craig, I don't know about anything about your relationship with your father or your parents. But, but let me ask you a question of your fondest memory of your parents. Uh, you know, if you can think back over your whole life, was it times that they lectured to you or was it times when they just talked to you? Oh, I think it's very clear. I mean, all of us remembering our, our childhood years recall a lot of lectures. Uh, and yet, as, as profound as those moments <laughs> might have been, uh, my, my dad, who, uh, who went to be with the Lord, I still, at 8 o'clock on Sunday evenings, pause, and there's that sense of, of uh, that gap. Because yeah. Yeah. while we talked throughout the week at various times, uh, 8 o'clock Sunday evening seemed to be the time when the week was over with, the weekend was over with, and we had a chance to get on the phone for a half hour, 45 minutes, an hour, whatever it took, and just dialogue, just converse back and forth, and he'd tell his stories, and I would tell mine, and, and I, I cherish those moments probably more so than the lectures. <laughs> I, of course, absolutely, and mine's the same way. My dad and I, you know, high school might have been a little tougher, but, I mean, I, for, for, for 30 years, my dad and I had a wonderful conversational relationship, and, and that's what I remember. And even with my wife, you know, my wife and I, we, we went on our 30th anniversary to Italy a few years ago, but really the, the heart and soul of our relationship is when we just sit after dinner and have a cup of coffee and talk together. And it's not even, you know, earth-shattering discussions. It's just normal discussions. And I believe this is what God wants for his people. In fact, how are we going to recognize God's voice in, in, in the storm of a terrible decision if we haven't learned to recognize his voice in the calm wind of a, you know, a, an evening breeze? Mm. We, we really need to recognize God's voice in a conversation if we're going to learn to recognize his voice in those very desperate times when we have to make a hard decision. There is a reason why, and, and God certainly in his infinite power could choose to use the loud, thundering voice from the heavens, as we all uh, sort of think of, you know, via our experience in the movies. And yet God, I think, purposefully has chosen to instead speak through, as we see articulated in Scripture, through the still, small voice. And I'm going to ask you why you think that is and what we can learn from that when we come back to more of our conversation. Samuel Williamson with us today, the book Hearing God in Conversation, How to Recognize His Voice Everywhere. The new book, by the way, newly published by Kriegel Publications. You'll find it at bookstores throughout the Bay Area, as well as you can order directly through Samuel's website at beliefsoftheheart.com. A brief time out. Back to more of our conversation as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We are back to our conversation, and Samuel Williamson, our guest today, his new book, Hearing God in Conversation, How to Recognize His Voice Everywhere. Now, Samuel, God being God, he can choose to communicate by any means he desires. We'll recall a time when he chose to communicate through a burning bush, as uh, Moses had the experience. Uh, we, we know that he could open up the heavens with a thunderous voice. But instead, for the most part, for most believers, um, rather than the loud, thundering voice that we would know as it shook us to our very core that it was clearly the voice of God, instead God chooses to speak in that 
that still small voice, as Scripture tells us. Why is that? Is that is that? It's got to be. God is a very purposeful God. There's got to be a reason behind that. I, I think there's two reasons, Craig. And I think the first is we're, we're all familiar with the passage in First Kings. I think it's 19, but it might be 20, where God speaks to Elijah out of a still small voice. But the background of that is Elijah has just been involved in one of the greatest miracles God does in the Old Testament. You know. There's this big contest between the prophets of Baal and the prophet of God, Elijah. And Elijah builds this, you know, he puts, he puts together an altar, and he puts together the wood on it, he puts a sacrifice on it, and God sends a fiery bolt down from heaven, burns up the sacrifice and the wood and the water and the stones and even the earth, and nobody changes. I mean, Elijah is expecting the people to rise up against Ahab and Jezebel. You know, if not rise up, at least he's expecting some some protesters out front saying, we want the Lord, you know, we want the Lord. But nothing happens. And, And Elijah becomes terribly depressed, and he goes down to Mount Sinai. And that's where, it's very interesting, God says, an earthquake came by, but there was no, but God was not in the earthquake. A whirlwind came by, and God was not in the earthquake, in the whirlwind. And a fire came by, and God was not in the fire. And the thing that's so funny is that when God spoke to Moses, he spoke out of the fiery bush. So we spoke out of fire. When God spoke on Mount Sinai to the people of Israel, he spoke out of an earthquake. And when God spoke to Job, he did speak out of a whirlwind. So it's not that God doesn't speak in those things. But I think the deliberate contrast with this huge, spectacular miracle and not changing people's hearts is part of God's point when he finally says, and then God spoke in a still small voice. I don't think the spectacular changes us, Craig. I mean, I wish I could say if I had something spectacular would change me, but I really think it's the still, small, quiet, conversational voice of God every day that changes my heart. And, and I would think the big miracles do, but you know, Jesus did all kinds of miracles and the Pharisees didn't change their minds. And, and so I, I really do think God is saying there, there's a part of us humans, maybe us humans in the Western world especially, there's a part of us that wants the spectacular and the miraculous. And I believe in the spectacular and miraculous. Please don't misunderstand me. But I think the thing that changes my heart is when I sit in my chair and I hear God say, you know, Sam, I think you were ignoring your wife. I think you should go repent to her. And it's a quiet, calm voice that has a steady assurance in his voice. And so I think God really, I think God has an, has an invitation. So my first reason that God speaks out of the still small voice instead of the spectacular is I think that's the way humans work. I would say the second reason is I think God likes us to seek him. And sometimes when we speak, seek the spectacular, we're, experience, we're hoping for an emotional experience more than just to be touched by the hand and the heart and the tongue of God. So he wants us to seek him. I'm sorry for that long answer, Greg. I really appreciate your kindness. No, it's an appropriate answer, and I think it also puts things in perspective, and that is to recognize, too, that we serve a holy and righteous God. Amen. Um, Amen. That, I'm really serious. That, that, that sense of, and I think we've, we've, we've lost this, in in the modern day world, that that sense of, uh, for example, what it meant to be a priest to enter into the holy of holies, right, right, and that tremendous sense of of respect 
and reverence to realize that the priest was entering into the very presence of God. Uh, people forget that so much so, um, and, and Catholics listening will appreciate this, um, a bell is rung uh, during the consecration of the host uh, during Mass. And um, a bell was also um, uh, part of uh, what happened during the, the sacrifice that would take place inside of the Holy of Holies. And a rope was tied around the ankle of the priest. Absolutely. Should, should the pe- priest be found with sin and God strike him dead as being unfit to be in his presence and to offer the sacrifice on behalf of the people of Israel so that they could literally pull the priest out. Because if they went in there, they would be struck. Exactly right. So I think we've <laughs> lost that sense of, of, of awe in the presence of God and in realizing that God doesn't have to raise his voice to us. He is God. Well, and you know, the one time that God did handwriting on the wall, you know, we all talk about it, just about handwriting on the wall. The one time God wrote on the wall, the message basically was, King Belshazzar, you're going to die tonight. (laughs) (laughs) I think I can live without handwriting on the wall tonight. (laughs) <laughs> you know? Yeah, you're right. And the other notion here, too, and I learned this years ago in, in debate, um, we have a tendency, human beings, uh, we saw this uh, just last night. You'll probably see it again on Sunday during the debates. As we're trying to, out of frustration, get our point across, we tend to think if we raise our voices, you'll hear us. Yeah, right. And yet, exactly. I learned many, many years ago that if you really want to get the most important point across, don't raise your voice. Instead, lower your voice, and people will lean in and pay more attention. And I think perhaps God is using the same principle with us. He wants us to pay attention, to recognize who he is in the splendor and glory of all of his grace and righteousness and holiness, and realize that he does care. And not only does he care, and not only does he want to hear from us, but he also wants us to hear from him as we engage in that, that dialogue or that conversation, uh, as you call it in the title of the book, Samuel, so that in and through that, uh, we can not only recognize his voice, but also walk in a deeper level of fellowship and pure relationship with Tim that perhaps a lot of us have never never taken it to that level, never really experienced. I agree with you completely. I, I, you know, Christianity is about relationship. And, and relationship, the heart and soul relationship is really the normal life. It's, it's not, the spectacular is great. You know, don't, don't deny me any of the spectacular. But the heart and soul of a relationship is just the normal, everyday, faithful talking and being together. And, and really, that's what makes life rich. And I think that's what God is inviting us into. I, I believe God wants us to hear his voice every day, almost every day. There's, there's times where he might be silent because he can't tell us something. But I, I really believe that God has something for us and that, as, as you're talking about, he wants, uh, he wants us to be able to enter into the Holy of Holies because the the temple curtain was torn That's right. so that we can enter back into a relationship with him that, that was lost in the Garden of Eden. 
And, you know, we can probably talk to a lot of wives out there who would say their husbands never learn to listen, and perhaps vice versa. Uh, God, I think. Please don't call my wife. (laughs) She's online too, you say? I'm sorry. Uh, I I think, though, that that we can also uh, learn a lot from that. That, that God perhaps would observe that we've never learned to listen to him. We talk a lot about wanting to hear from God, but do we really want to hear from God? Do we want to not only be vulnerable at that level, but take the time to walk in the fellowship and to have the kind of, of intimacy with God that he really wants not only of us, but for us? It's a compelling read and can be a life-changing one for you. Hearing God in Conversation, How to Recognize His Voice Everywhere. Newly published by Kriegel Publishers. You'll find it available available at bookstores throughout the Bay Area, as well as through the usual suspects, Amazon.com, and at Samuel's website, beliefsoftheheart.com. That's beliefsoftheheart.com. And our thanks to Samuel Williamson for being with us on this segment of Lifeline. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Media Group. All rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.